We're in a series this morning called Vertical, and we're in our second week together. And uh, a couple things I forgot as you came in this morning, or as I gave announcements this morning, but as you came in this morning, you maybe have noticed over the last couple weeks, our welcome team and our connection team, some of the people even taking the offering, they have these cool lanyards that are bright red, so they can't hide. Have you seen those? Who's seen them? Anybody? I know it's a dreary morning, but I got to wake you up somehow. You've seen these things, right? Well, here's the deal. So during everything and all the chaos that's going to come with construction moving forward, there's one group of people that you can trust that are always going to have the answers for you. They're wearing these lanyards. Now, some of you who are on the connections team go, what? Hold on. What? I don't have any answers. I don't know what's going on, which is exactly why you need to hear what I'm about to say. If you serve on our connections team, you wear one of these lanyards, or if you serve in kids' ministry or in the nursery, you serve in ministry somewhere on a Sunday morning, we're relying on you uh, to know what's going on. And here's how that's going to happen. Is every Sunday morning, so maybe you don't serve and you're just nosy, so this could be for you too. You could show up. Every Sunday morning uh, out there, uh, our, our connections team gets together and they pray before our service starts and they, uh, they kind of go over what's going on for the day and order service and all those good things. Uh, but one of the things that's going to happen going forward is every Sunday at 930, so you need to, if you're on this team, you need to be here if you're serving those days by 930, right? What time? Now turn and tell your, tell your spouse 925. <laughs> and so that's what time you need to be here, right? Uh, 9.30, and at 9.30, there's going to be a meeting with some of the guys, uh, one of a handful of them who are kind of helping uh, as uh, liaisons with DJ Construction, and they're going to update you on some of the things that have maybe happened in the last week or that are happening in the next week. So if you were on the team this morning during that meeting, one of the things we said was, you know, over here in our, uh, the new AV booth that's being built, uh, there's some barriers there. We want to make sure we don't let kids get in there and play. Um, Because it's pretty inviting for a little kid to go climb around. Uh, My son will probably be over there trying to get in later today. Um, Different things like that, just to know what's going on. And then to know, hey, next Sunday, uh, we've got a totally different entrance. We're going to be coming in for a few months. So all that to say, if you need help, find somebody in a red lanyard. If you wear one of these once in a while and you don't know what's going on, that means you've been late. (laughs) Get up early and get here. You need to be here at 9.30. And if you serve in kids ministry or whatever else too, it's, listen, it's, it's really, really important that you're here on time. And here's the reason is that uh, with the construction, some of us are going to be coming earlier. It's going to be more congested for a time until we get some things done. And so to have more people here who, if you're serving to be here to care for people and to, to help facilitate things, you are so important to what happens on a Sunday morning. And even if you're like, oh, I'm in kids ministry, I don't affect what goes on in here. Are, are you kidding me? Like your ministry and kids ministry and in caring for those kids and teaching them, one, is huge for the future of our church. But two, it's huge for those who are in here just in terms of uh, the blessing for some, I know as a as a dad with a young boy, uh, for, for Hannah, the blessing of being able to sit for an hour and learn and study God's word without the distraction of a young child, you know, tugging on your, your, the hem of your, 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 uh, your shorts or whatever every five seconds, right? And um, so you, you play a huge, huge role, and we're so thankful for you. But get here on time, doggone it. Yeah? All right. That's, uh, end of sermon. Well, no, it's not. Beginning of sermon. We're in a series called Vertical, and uh, we're studying uh, a handful of different passages in God's Word. But the whole idea here is that 
if you're like me, a lot of times in your, your walk and in, in, in your Christian life, uh, you spend, we spend, I spend way too much time on the horizontal and not enough with my eyes directed vertically. Here's what I mean by that. Horizontal things are the things kind of of the here and now. You know, people, stuff, responsibilities, desires, longings, sufferings. Sometimes my gaze is just too horizontal in the here and now. And all of those things matter. Don't get me wrong, right? Like all of those things absolutely matter and they're important to give our attention to. But the truth of the matter is when we turn our attention from the horizontal to the vertical, all those horizontal things kind of come into place. They fall into place and we get perspective on things. And by vertical, I mean looking up to Jesus and beholding his glory. Last Sunday, we were in Isaiah chapter six and uh, we saw the, the powerful vision Isaiah had of Jesus Christ sitting on his throne, seated and in control in, in full glory. And, and if our goal is to quit looking horizontally at everything and, and to look vertically, then we need to do like the writer of Hebrews says and think a lot about Jesus. We need to turn our eyes to Jesus Christ, kind of as the old hymn goes, right? Turn your eyes on Jesus Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth, the horizontal things, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know that song? Isn't it true? And the writer of Hebrews, uh, he says this in chapter three. I like, I'm gonna read from a paraphrase called The Message. He says, so my dear Christian friends, companions in following this call to the heights, to look vertically, take a good hard look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of everything we believe. There's another paraphrase that says, think a lot about Jesus. I love that. The ESV says, consider Jesus. Hebrews 12, he says it again. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans, they're cheering us on. It means we'd better get up and get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When we're talking about getting vertical and being vertical as a church, we're talking about beholding and seeking and longing after Jesus' glory. And and the horizontal things will come into play. The antidote for flat, stuck, horizontal thinking, it's turning your attention, your heart, your gaze, your affections, your adoration vertical and beholding Jesus in his glory. Well, this morning... uh, Our focus is gonna be on worship. And when you think of worship, you've probably heard me uh, push back sometimes and say, well, worship isn't just about singing or music, but we talk, we think that way a lot of times, right? Now, if you're a guest or or you're not a Christian, maybe this is gonna be new to you and that's okay. You get kind of peek in as as we talk here as a family a little bit about this, but uh, worship is definitely more than just singing and music. Would you agree? It's a lot more than that. It is because, I mean, your work can be worship. Your, your parenting can be an act of worship. Your, your serving can be and is an act of worship. They're all, any of those things can be worshipful. But they, in a sense, they kind of indirectly give God glory. And so uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come back from that a little bit this morning and talk specifically about worship as singing and declaring God's praise, as specifically ascribing worth to Jesus Christ. Direct, like uh, direct, vertical, speaking to and about, to Jesus about his glory, vertical adoration. See, to worship by definition means to express or to ascribe worth to something. Our English word, actually, if you go back to the old English even, it, it, it comes out as worth-ship to express worth to something, to show the worth of something. The Hebrew word translated worship literally means, most commonly translated worship literally means to fall prostrate yourself, to fall or prostrate yourself before someone on the ground, touching your forehead to the earth. We haven't done that very often, have we? But but that's what it's talking about. It's It's a physical act. When you worship, what you're saying is this one, this thing, this is worth more. And you're expressing its worth. And at the same time, you're saying, and I am less 
like John the Baptist, right? He must increase, I must decrease. That's the idea of worship. So by worship today, yes, your work is an act of worship. Yes, uh, all the things you do in service to the Lord is an act of worship. It's worshipful. But I'm speaking very specifically today about ascribing worth and glory to Jesus Christ. If you're with me, say, yeah, yeah. All right, see, if, you don't, if you're new, you don't know I'm a big fan of the sandlot and the kid who says, yeah, yeah. And amen, actually, in Hebrew just means yeah. So you just said amen in English. Yeah? All right, there we go. So now I just want to make sure you're here. Now here's the deal about worship, and then I'm going to pray and we're going to dive in. Ascribing worth to Jesus Christ, worship, when we're talking about singing or speaking or, or wor- the act, physical act of worshiping Jesus Christ, it's a very personal thing on one hand. Would you agree? It's very personal. There's certain songs that resonate with you. There's certain emotions that resonate within you. Certain You can maybe even look back to different times in your life where you go, man, in that moment, I, I, I just experienced God's goodness and his glory in a powerful way. Uh, here, here's some uh, psalms about the personal nature of worship. I will give to the Lord thanks due his name. Due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 27 6. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Uh, Psalm 145, verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. It's something we do personally as individuals. But did you know the Bible also speaks often about worship being a corporate endeavor, meaning all of us as a group, uh, together. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2, this is what we're talking about this morning. Ascribe to the Lord. Here in the case he's speaking to, uh, to the heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, directly to him, the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. First Chronicles says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. In other words, as a group, together, as a family, all of us ascribe worth to Jesus Christ. It's a command. Would you agree? Do, do you see any wiggle room there where like you get to just sit out on this one and go, eh, I don't feel like it today. I don't think I will. I don't see that. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. This morning, uh, loved ones, we're going to consider the glory of Jesus Christ and ascribing worth to him in light of that. With that, let me pray. And then we're going we're gonna to jump into this. We're going to look at Moses a little bit, and then we're going to look at specifically uh, our worship uh, together on a Sunday morning, what that looks like. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his goodness and his grace, his deity. Jesus, it is truly all about you. It's incredible that, that you uh, would put on flesh and come. As John says uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 14, and We have beheld your glory, Jesus, in you, full of grace and truth. Holy Spirit, thank you that you use me. Forgive me of my sin. And uh, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, who he would desire to rob you, Jesus, of your glory. Instead, might you ignite our hearts, Holy Spirit, in a way that, uh, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth and with passion. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How how many of you would agree that God is, I'm going to throw a theological term out at you, okay? Omnipresent. Do you know what that means? What's omnipresent mean? He's everywhere, right? God is everywhere. Now, I hope you believe that. I, I really hope you believe that because the Bible teaches it. For instance, in Jeremiah chapter 23, he says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? 
In other words, am I near or not? I'm everywhere. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Listen, God is everywhere. He sees all things. That's a truth about the nature of our God. But have you noticed that sometimes in scripture and sometimes even in our own lives, there's a sense in which God reveals himself in a powerful way. That yes, it's true, God is always among us and always with us in our worship services. But there's also a sense where we really want him to show up. And we sing at the beginning, I hope that was your heart, show us, show us your glory. Well, what's he got to do that for if he's everywhere all the time? Well, see, because there's another aspect of his presence, not just his omnipresence everywhere, but his, his, uh, his manifest presence. That in certain times, in certain places, in certain ways, God makes his presence clear and obvious in powerful ways. And when we read of God showing his glory to his people, specifically, especially, I should say, in the Old Testament, what we're reading about is his manifest presence. Why don't you say that with me? Say manifest presence. That's God's presence where he, he manifests himself among us. It's his glory that shows up. And, and what happens in, is when, when God shows his manifest presence, my contention this morning is that it changes us. And it changes things. And his glory, the presence of his glory and the beholding of his glory changes us. In fact, this is true in scripture. Check this out from Exodus. Exodus 29 verse 43. God says, there I will meet with the people of Israel and they shall be sanctified by my glory. And it goes on. God's glory changes us. John tells us specifically uh, that, that his glory, it, it comes from an encounter with Jesus. Look at, look at John chapter 1. I, I quoted this earlier when I was praying. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus put on flesh. He lived among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. John says Jesus' glory is full of grace and full of truth. That to behold God's glory means to behold Jesus Christ, to make much of him, to exalt him. See, one day we're going to see Jesus' glory in full force. And it will be terrifying and wonderful. All in one. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We with unveiled face... Behold the glory of the Lord. And right now we're being transformed, Paul writes, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. We're currently being transformed, Paul says, from one degree of glory to another. And the more we get to encounter Jesus' glory, his grace and his truth, the more we're transformed into his image. Well, I want to look this morning at the, briefly at the example of Moses because Moses is a really clear example of a guy who experienced God's glory, his manifest presence multiple times, and you can see over the course of time how he changes because of that. You, you can literally just see his life change the more and more he's exposed to the glory of God. And I would argue to the glory of Jesus Christ that he's exposed if you got your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3 with me if you want. It won't be on the screen, but I'm going to read from there. And let me just set up Moses' story, because maybe you don't know a lot about Moses. Moses was a Hebrew man. Uh, he was born in Egypt, and God miraculously rescued him, uh, and he grew up in, in Pharaoh's household as an Egyptian. And uh, Moses uh, grew up eventually when he's about 40 years old. Uh, he ends up killing a man, an, Egypt, an Egyptian man who was uh, putting on hard tasks on his people, the Hebrew people. See, God's people had been in Egypt for about 400 years at this point, and they had become slaves to Pharaoh. And he put taskmasters with heavy burdens over them, and uh, it was just cruel to them. And, and Moses uh, was frustrated by this, and he, he kills an Egyptian guy, buries him in the sand, then that thing is found out, so he hightails it away into the wilderness. And he hides in the wilderness where he meets his wife and he stays there for 40 years. A couple different times Moses has to spend 40 years in the wilderness. 
And then when he's 80 years old, he comes to a place uh, called Mount Horeb, or you may also know it as Mount Sinai. And while he's there tending his flocks, uh, outside of his tent, he just hears, it's kind of the way I picture it. And this bush catches on fire near him. And that's where we pick it up in chapter three. God appears to him in a burning bush. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God, that's Mount Sinai. And then in verse two, it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, when you're reading in the Old Testament and you see the angel of the Lord, you see somebody called that, pay attention. Because I would contend that most of the time, if not all of the time, it's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is eternal and uh, he puts on flesh at the incarnation, but he shows up multiple times in the Old Testament. And I believe this is him. And let's see if, if we agree or not here. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked and behold, the, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. Now, when I was little, I always thought of like this tiny little bush, but I think it's probably like a big, huge bush, like a tree just on fire in front of him and it's not being consumed. And Moses is like, I'll turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. In other words, I gotta get, go check this out. And he walks over and when Moses saw, when the, excuse me, when the Lord saw that, that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Look in, in verse four, the angel of the Lord is referred to, the one in the burning bush is referred to as who? The Lord, as Yahweh, personal name, all capital letters. In other words, this is God in the bush. This is Jesus Christ speaking to Moses from the bush. Then he said, don't come near. More evidence of his deity. Take off your sandal, take the sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This was the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord. This is Jesus. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. In other words, afraid to behold his glory. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This was all something that had been promised to Abraham generations before and God was remembering his promise and he was gonna use Moses at 80 years old. By the way, if you think you're too old for the Lord to use you, Moses didn't do anything till he was 80. Did you catch that? Moses didn't do anything really of significance until he was 80. I'm halfway there. That means, Lord willing, I've got a lot of fruitfulness ahead of me, I hope. I hope you think that way too. And uh, Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the, the children of Israel out of Egypt? But he said, look at this, he said in verse 12, but I will be with you. I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you. And he goes on and he says that when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You're gonna bring them right back here to Mount Sinai, Moses. And of course that ends up happening. But God's promise to Moses is that I will be with you. His glory would be with him. His glory would manifest itself with Moses. Now Moses is, if we read the account, we'd find out he's afraid to speak. He, he has kind of a stutter and he just, he doesn't want to go through with this. But then by the time you get later, after Moses experiences God's glory here at the burning bush and then in all of the plagues and in the parting of the Red Sea and then being led through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night and then coming to Mount Sinai in, in chapter 19 and 20 and it de describes uh, the glory of the Lord uh, descending on Mount Sinai. It says in chapter nine, verse 18, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And when Moses spoke, God answered him in thunder. And then uh, Moses not only sees his glory there, but then goes up again later and it says, when Moses came down, his face after meeting with God shone with God's glory. 
And every time after he would meet with God, when he would meet with him, he'd go in, he'd unveil his face. But when he came out with the people, he would veil his face simply from being in God's presence and experiencing his glory. And Moses goes from this guy who is, who is afraid to go speak to Pharaoh to this guy that uh, is a powerful leader and enthralled with the glory of God. In fact, it gets to the point, see, when Moses is up there, he's up there on this mountain in the, in the midst of God's glory for 40 days. And people are thinking, man, what happened to Moses? He's old, he climbed a mountain, we saw God's glory, he's probably dead. And so they begin, they make this golden calf to worship. And Moses comes down and Moses had a little bit of an anger issue. He said his anger grew hot or burned hot. He threw the 10 commandments down, they broke and he just threw a fit, I think rightfully so because they had turned from worshiping God. And then uh, Moses prays uh, to God, please don't abandon us. Please stay with us. It's your presence, he says, that makes us distinct among all the peoples. In other words, your manifest presence, your glory among us. And in fact, when, when you get down further and read about Moses uh, in Exodus 33, this is after the whole golden calf thing. And Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring this people up, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you, you've found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, Moses is just distraught. He says, if I found favor in your sight, if I found your grace, in other words, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider these people are your people. Moses is just pleading. And he had said, like, if you don't go with us, God, we are so sunk. And Moses is so distraught. I think this is kind of funny as you read it. You ever been with somebody who's like so distraught about something and they're so fired up telling you about something that you have to answer them like three times before they ever hear the answer? That's Moses here with God because God says, he said, okay, Moses, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And then Moses, he's still distraught. He goes, uh, he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, Moses, he just said he's gonna go with you. If your presence won't go with me, don't bring me up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? And I, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth, it's your glory among us, Lord, that makes us unique. And God says again, the very thing you've spoken, I will do. Moses says, please, no, please show me your glory. It's almost like Moses didn't even hear any of this. He's so consumed with the fact that unless he sees God's glory and that unless God goes with him, they are so sunk. And finally, he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, Moses, and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But he said, you can't see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. We're told later that uh, because to, to behold God's glory, you'd surely die. So after meeting with God and beholding God's glory, Moses was changed, his face glowed. It says in Exodus 34, whenever he went in before the Lord to speak with him, he had removed the veil until he came out. In Acts chapter four, where we read about Peter and John, where it was clear they had been with Jesus when people saw the glory of Jesus just in their preaching and in their knowledge. Here's, here's my point this morning. Moses understood something that we really need to get a handle and a grasp on. That apart from God's presence among us, not just his omnipresence, because he's everywhere, but his manifest presence showing his glory and showing up in power. We can just go through the actions of church. We can just check all the boxes, do all the right things, and nothing changes about us or about our community or people's lives, and it's just dead and dull and just routine. It's just doing church. And we need a grasp on the fact, like Moses said, Lord, isn't it your presence with us that makes us unique? Like you being present, manifestly present among us that makes us unique among all the people. See, God delights to show and, and manifest his glory. 
And he does it in so many ways, but, but one of the most powerful ways he does it, Psalm 22, verse 3 says, that, says, says this, that uh, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, on the praises of your people. One of the places where God's glory shows up and where God manifests himself is when his people collectively praise him and bring glory to him. So like our gathering together and our engaging our hearts and our minds in in song and in worship passionately absolutely matters. And beyond that, it's commanded by God. But so often, sometimes we show up and we're just like, okay, I don't know if I really feel like singing today. Okay, but how many other things do you obey even if you don't feel like it. Why does that command get relegated to feelings? You ever think about that? And by the way, you're, I'm, I'm talking to myself too because I can do the same thing. So don't think like I'm, I'm my face is glowing like Moses. I'm, no, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm like, I'm the same way. And I can put, the, I, don't, I just don't feel like it or I'd just be hypocritical if I really engaged my heart today and, Okay, well, is it hypocritical then when I'm hungry and I decide not to steal because the Lord says thou shalt not steal? I don't feel like obeying that today, so no. Even if I don't feel like it, whatever that act of obedience is, I don't feel like honoring my parents. If I don't feel like it, but I still do it, guess what God does? He still blesses that. Why? Because you choose to obey, you choose blessing. And I believe that relates to our, to our singing and our corporate worship as well. He's enthroned on the praises of his people. Let me suggest that when we exalt the name of Jesus Christ together, through preaching, through singing, through prayer, that, that God shows up in a unique way. Now, the danger of me saying some of these things is this, that we might get in our mind that God's like a jack-in-the-box, you know what a jack in the box, how a jack in the box works? You just kind of crank it and crank it and crank it. And you got to keep cranking and crank it way up until poof, he pops open. God doesn't work like that. It's not like we're just trying to crank the box. But there is a sense in which we need to be obedient, even when we don't feel like it, and engage ourselves wholeheartedly in our singing and in our prayer, in our worship, in our preaching. Uh, James McDonald had this quote. Um, He says, nothing brings glory down in church as quickly and as powerfully as when God's people unashamedly adore God's great son, Jesus Christ. Not just a few enthusiasts in the front row when the service starts, but a room packed to the walls with fired up Christians. Not simply testimony to personal benefit resulting from the gospel, but but passionate ascription of worth to the God of the gospel. When that happens, an unbeliever coming in will worship God and declare, like it says in 1 Corinthians 14, God is really among you. Why? Because he is enthroned on the praises of his people. Psalm 40 verse three says that when we ascribe worth to the Lord, when we sing, uh, he put a song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and that when people see that, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That God shows up in a powerful way when, when we engage to worship him in spirit and in truth. So, so what does this look like? What's this look like? Scripture said it pleases the Father for us to exalt the name of Jesus and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and Jesus says in Mark, this in Mark chapter 12 about the nature then of our worship or of our love for him ascribing worth to him. He says, one of the scribes came up, they heard him disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them all well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, he said, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, you've heard this. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I would contend that our worship should follow this prescription of how we're to love God. Jesus says this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all your heart, think about that. I think our emotions, our emotive center. 
You don't want to be led entirely by your emotions because our emotions can sometimes lie to us, right? But it's still part of how God made us. And God is an emotional God. Have you noticed that? He expresses emotion. And so we're to worship him with emotion. You know, like, like for it takes like the song Glorious Day, right? He called my name and I ran out of that grave. Woo. So much emotion. With, with your heart. That's not very heartfelt. Now, maybe, maybe you're just, I get it. All of us are different. We have different personalities and maybe you're just not that expressive. I get that. That's okay. But, um, but at the same time, I've seen people who are like that still express great emotion in other ways. Why not towards the Lord in our singing? Why not? How about, uh, he says it should be uh, with all your heart, with all your soul. In other words, it's spirit, your spirit, it's spiritual. Should worship the Lord, not just with truth, with declaring truth, but with your spirit. There's, there's part of your being, your, your soul that needs to worship. The spiritual center of who you are, the immaterial part of who you are. With all your mind, I would argue this is truth or intellect, with mental understanding. See, a lot of times we can worship like from our shoulders up, but we're negating from our shoulders down and it's deficient. It's all just truth. And truth is great. It's needed. It's it's so essential. But if it's all truth and no spirit, no emotion, it's kind of like the, I've got a bunch of Cubs bobbleheads in my office. If you ever come in my office, they have giant heads that just wobble around because they're too heavy to stand still. And it's just all truth. But he says, in, with, with heart, soul, mind, and then with all your strength, physically engaging. So maybe it's not just shoulders up. Sometimes it's like uh, jaw up because physically involves like singing and speaking and shouting. Here's the idea. I don't think Jesus, when he gave that command, and when that command is recorded in Deuteronomy, that he was trying to give like this breakdown of all our material parts, right? Uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think what he's saying, he wants all of you to engage. Like you individually, he wants all of you, of who you are, to engage him in worship. Our bodies, this is a quote from a guy by the name of Bob Coughlin. He says, our bodies naturally reflect what affects us. For instance, he says, I cringe when a glass of milk is about to be knocked over. Anybody do that? Anybody do that? Uh, I, I open my arms wide as my daughter runs to greet me. He says, I jump up from the couch with my hands upraised when my team scores the winning goal. I gratefully applaud unselfish acts of service. I cry when a friend's child dies. Why is it that the church sometimes is the only place where our bodies can't express what our minds are comprehending and what our hearts are feeling? You ever think about that? Like you engage yourself. I'm a big Iowa State fan and they blew it yesterday against Iowa. Some of you are Purdue fans. You guys blew it worse. No offense. But... I hurt for you, I do. But did you, I wonder if during the game, if you were like me, at one point, um, Iowa State dropped this pass and I slammed my hand down on the couch and Charlie jumped and he thought I was angry about something because I never did anything like that. And he looked at me and Hannah's like, no, he's not, he's not upset with you. He's just, he's upset with that guy for dropping the ball. Oh, oh, he was sitting next to me and I slapped the couch, you know. But I wonder, did you do that yesterday? Or did you cheer and throw your hands up? Why is it that we come to church and we think we just got to sit stuffy and still and it's welling up in me, but I can't, I don't dare show any emotion. Why? Why is that? I think there's a handful of reasons. I think, um, you know, sometimes we're just, we don't know maybe what the Bible teaches. I'm going to talk about those here as we close about physical responses to God. Uh, Sometimes I think um, we're afraid. This is, I think, the big one. We're afraid of what everybody else might think. Boy, if they saw me clap 
or if they saw me, if they heard me sing, my voice is not that good. Well, good news. In the Psalms, it says, make a joyful, guess what it says next to the Lord? Noise. It doesn't say it in tune. It just says noise. A joyful noise to the Lord. Um, sometimes I, I think, you know, maybe we don't express ourselves because, you know what? My heart's just not in the right place today. And so for me to, to like to raise my hand or to clap or to, you know, faint excitement, it would just be so disingenuous. Maybe. But it's also commanded. So how do you reconcile that between what I feel like doing and what God commands me to do? I understand, you know, like there's different types of commands in scripture. There's commands that are like, uh, do this exactly like it's written for all time. Do not murder, right? Would you agree? There's other commands that seem to be culturally seated to where, you know what, that was a command for that time and place. And it's pretty clear that that's not a command for me uh, to obey today. But there's many of the commands in the Bible are, are, are commands in principle and they, ex, they, they get expressed in different places or in different ways throughout different cultures. But the principle at the root of it is still there. And the principle here is that God wants you to engage with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants all of you. Not just shoulders up. Not just with your mind, but heart, soul, and strength. See, the Bible tells us that uh, where, where God's worship exists, that his spirit is present, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, I know God looks at the heart, and we can worship him without outward expressions. I get that. I, I, I get it. And I get we're all different. Some of us are extroverts. Some are introverts. So we have different backgrounds. We're a big melting pot of people from all different theological and church backgrounds. I get it. Um, but what is it for you that maybe needs to take a next step? Is there really freedom in your heart to worship in spirit and in truth? Not just truth, but in spirit. Have you ever experienced that where you're just welling up and you kind of want to move a little bit? You know, it's, that's okay to kind of tap your foot and move a little bit. Here, here's ways, and I gave you a handful on your on your insert that we can express this freedom in our worship. And I'm, I'm really kind of keying in on this whole physical aspect because there's something about the way God has made us that when we engage our whole being, including physically, there's just something unique about that more than just my mind. For instance, I can express it with my voice, with my voice. Psalm 71, uh, for, one, for one with speaking, in speaking, I can speak and declare the glory of God. Psalm 71, 8, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. See, there's kind of a twofold reason sometimes when I ask you to respond to me or to, to repeat something after me. Sometimes it's just to keep you awake, right, and keep you engaged. Other times, though, it's because we're commanded to speak and declare the glory of the Lord. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Not just in my head, but my mouth. It was singing. Here's another way you can praise him with your voice and express freedom. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. It's one of the most often repeated commands in the Psalms. Sing praises to the Lord. Now I get it. You can make melody in your heart as well and sing but do you sing? Engage who you are. God loves to hear his praises sung from his people. Again, I, I, there's going to come a time I can't reference Charlie all the time, but he's still young enough I can. And just being a dad, it, it, I, I think about that all the time. I get to share the title Father with God. And one of the things that's been kind of fun is hearing Charlie start to sing. Maybe if you've had little kids or you have little kids and all of a sudden they start singing songs. And uh, he's in his, in his room, you know, after his nap, and all of a sudden you just hear, uh, the wheels on the bus go round and round. You know, and you, he's just, you know, I love to hear him sing. And we've been teaching him some songs. There was this song we used to sing with little kids. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, we'd go do a kids club, and it goes like this. It goes like, I love a cupcake. I love a Hershey's kiss. 
I know you're looking at me weird, but I don't care. I love a milkshake, ice cream, and chocolate chips. When mom puts it all away, that's when I have to say, chocolate, chocolate, Jesus is sweeter than chocolate. And he's just singing in there, Jesus is sweeter than chocolate. Man. It's awesome. But I think if I love to hear that, I wonder what my heavenly father loves to hear. Because you know what? Charlie's got a good little voice in my opinion, but it's, it's far from perfect. It's still kind of a noise sometimes too. But I love to hear it. God describes himself as father for the same reason, so we'd understand his love. He loves to hear his children speak and sing or shouting. Do you know you can shout? I say it's a dead silence. Do you know that? Look at this, Psalm 100, make a joyful, there it is in case you needed it. Psalm 100 verse one, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Psalm 27 verse six, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So so part of that freedom comes with expressing praise with my voice and lifting it up, speaking, singing, shouting, declaring the glory of God. Next is with my hands. Number two, I think this is another way you can express freedom in worship is with my hands. Everybody got hands? Now you may not, even if you don't have hands, you, you have arms, you have, you have something about you where physically you can express God's glory. That's the idea here. But for, for some examples, and there's more than these, but some examples of with my hands, by lifting my hands. You see that in scripture. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. You're like, Josh, you're getting weird. I don't do that. It's okay, you don't have to. I'm just saying this is a way you can. First Timothy 2.8, Paul writes, he says, I desire then that in every place men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I can do it by stretching out my hands. Maybe it's not just lifting them, but stretching them out. Uh, Psalm 143, verse six, I will stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you. There's something about these physical postures that, that I'm declaring physically what's true spiritually. We do that in other places in church, don't we? Baptism. You're physically declaring what's spiritually true. Communion, we physically declare what's spiritually true of our relationship with the Lord. In worship, I can, I can express myself with, in different postures to, to physically declare what's spiritually true. I, you know, back to the idea of a little kid and their dad again, right? How many of you, if you had a, have, have children and they came up to you with their arms open wide, see one expression of holding your arms up to the Lord is this, this Dependence and I need you, I want you. And when a little, little, little child comes up to you, ah, up, up, what do you do? Put your hands down, you look like a fool. Is that what you say? No, you don't say that. Why? Because you, you, you pick them up. And this is, it's like this physical act of, Lord, I'm dependent on you. I need you. And this, isn't, this is between you and him. It's not you and the person next to you who might think you look strange. Just, you know, there's freedom to try that and to do that. Or, or to hold your hands out and say, Lord, I just, I lay it all out before you. It's all yours. Do your hands ever get tired doing that? Like sometimes I just get tired. I got to put my hands down. Yeah. I think that even in and of itself is a, a reminder of God's glory. Glory literally means weightiness. It's weighty. It's heavy. I get tired, I'm, I'm not worthy of it, I gotta, I gotta rest. I can do it by clapping. Even off beat, it doesn't matter. You can clap. Psalm 47 verse one, clap your hands all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. You don't have to clap, but you can clap. You ever tap your foot? Um, you know, or, or clap along with another song on the radio or, you know, tap the steering wheel. Again, why are all those physical expressions okay everywhere but here? Sometimes in our head. I think sometimes it's just the enemy uh, robbing us maybe even of experiencing God's glory, his presence. You can do it by playing instruments. 
Uh, Psalm 33, verses 2 to 3, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Psalm 150, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with uh, sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. So, so with my voice, in my, with my hands, and in my posture, sometimes it's by standing. Psalm 135, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Sometimes it's by kneeling or bowing. I understand that can be a little, a little tricky in, in our environment here, right, to be able to kneel or to bow. But maybe that's just to sit down and reflect. Psalm 95.6, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Again, it's, a, it's an outward expression of what's true. God is high and lifted up. I'm low and unworthy of his grace. Look at number three, by dancing. You're like, okay, that's too far, Josh. Now you're getting way out there. Now, I think, you know, Paul tells us in Romans uh, chapter 14, especially to be uh, aware of those who are around us. And he talks about it to the Corinthians to, to have worship and orders of service that are orderly and, and make sense. And so to just go absolutely crazy might not be the wisest thing because it might hinder somebody else's ability to worship. But, you know, like to tap your foot, or like to rock back and forth, that's not that hard, right? I mean... Would you, like there's some songs, like even, I don't know how you hold still. I don't get it. Like you just, you gotta move, man. You know what I'm talking about? And it's okay to do that. In fact, like, like David, he comes back from battle after bringing the ark back and he dances in such a way that his wife looks down on him and says, you fool. Oh, look at you, the great king of Israel. And you know what he says to his wife? He's like, you know what? If you think this was bad, I'll become a whole lot more undignified than this by the time this is all through. Because I'm going to make merry before the Lord because of all the good things he's done for me. So, you know, we want to respect one another, and, but, but that doesn't mean you're not free to move a little bit. Right? To loosen up a little bit. It's, it's biblical. It's good to engage ourselves. And we shouldn't let the fear of man hinder us. We shouldn't let our own inhibitions or even the idea that, I don't know if that's genuine for me to clap, Lord, to express. You know what? Maybe, maybe you need to do that in a way to express with sincerity, Lord, I need you. I need to change. I, I love you. I am so messed up. Change me. Maybe that's where it would begin for you. I don't know. But here's what I'd like to do as we close this morning. We're going to sing a couple songs together, Um, and uh, you're going to have more opportunity. I would encourage you to come on September 19th. It's a Wednesday. Uh, We're going to have a night of prayer and worship right in this room, and uh, kind of almost a workshop, but um, I'm going to play a song uh, called The Stand, and we've sung it before on a Sunday morning. Um, You may recognize it, Um, but I would encourage you, it talks even as we're singing here about different postures of worship. And I would encourage you, maybe, um, maybe you would consider even engaging in some of these postures as we sing, even if, even if you feel weird about it. There's, there's where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Sometimes I close my eyes a lot when I sing, so I don't get distracted by everything else going on, or I don't worry about what everybody else thinks. But I would encourage you, if you've, you've never done this. They're going to turn the lights off here again, uh, as we normally do for worship. And uh, we're just going to sing here as we close, and then we're going to sing How Great Thou Art. The worship team will come back up. Um, Would you join me as we sing? Eternity is 
spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failures, carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So what could I say? And what could I do? But offer this heart, oh God. sing that chorus again and uh, maybe you would take your hands and just stretch them out before you just symbolically you know think uh, what, what could I say what could I do but offer this heart oh Lord oh God completely to you just just try that as we sing so what could I say and what could I do But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll walk upon salvation, your spirit alive in me, this life to declare your promise my soul now to stand so what could I say and what could I do but offer this heart oh God completely
so we surrender ourselves to you this morning. Help us to engage all of who we are in worship, in ascribing worth, Jesus, to you, that you'd be enthroned on our praises and made much of, that your glory would be seen and known among us. We love you, Lord. And I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. And I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. And all I am.